That question is really the question the church uh, grapples with in all parts of our life. And today we're going to look at a piece of that. We're going to look at the question of how can we face storms. Um, we're in a, uh, a conversation uh, called a grace period. It's about this, this period of time after Jesus has begun his ministry, but before he is really facing any opposition. We know that later on their opposition will build, and as the resistance grows, eventually it will lead Jesus to the cross. But at this point, Jesus has kind of an open road. He's got a, a honeymoon period, and he's able to go as far and as fast as he wants. And so that's what we're looking at is, what is Jesus going to do um, during this during this grace period, during this honeymoon period? And um, uh, what we saw last week is that Jesus... Uh, wants to go to the other side of the lake. That's the first thing he's going to do. Now, he's not moving very quickly, uh, probably because there's a crowd pressing around him, but but we saw last week he instructed his disciples to go to the other side of the lake, and this week we pick it up a few verses later when he actually is able to to get in the boat with them and go across the lake with his disciples. But as soon as he does that, a fierce storm um, strikes the lake, and the waves are breaking into the boat. So what we're going to do today is look at the way Jesus deals with the storms in his life, and particularly this storm in the middle of the lake. Uh, and um, th- this is a question I think a lot of us want to know, because we may not be in a boat in the middle of the lake, but we know what it is to face storms. We all face storms. Um, and by storms, I mean, yes, there's sometimes weather, weather-related phenomena, but sometimes other storms. Um, so the definition I'm going to use for storm is this, any disturbance whose outcome we can't see the far side of. So, so whatever it may be in our life, if there's a disturbance that you're aware of and you're thinking, you know, this is, it, it's, it's a disturbance. It's not just kind of, I don't know the future, but it's like there's something that is unsettling because I don't know what's on the other side of this. And maybe it is a natural phenomenon. Maybe this summer it was the lack of storms, the fact that we went an entire summer and it didn't seem like it ever rained, and so we had the wildfires because because we have you know we live in a state full of uh, full of uh, uh, fuel, and uh, if it's dry enough, it will burn. And so so maybe for some people, maybe for people you know, maybe for yourself, the the storm, the disturbance was. You know, what's going to happen to my property or the friend, the property of a friend of mine? What's going to happen to their animals? Whatever it may be. Um, because I'm unsettled. There, there's something that is disturbing me because of the weather. In this case, a lack of storms. Maybe it was something else. Maybe, maybe it was, um, that earthquake we had last fall. This week I was in a church, uh, that is still, uh, rebuilding after their earthquake. They, they had, um, uh, some s- significant damage to their church and they're still in the process of repairing that. And, uh, I think they're just now beginning to see the far side of that. They're just now beginning to see what it looked like about Christmas time, you know, assuming no more earthquakes. Um, you, you all enjoy the, uh, aftershock, uh, this week? Yeah, yeah. I, I hate those things. And, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the time when they quit calling them aftershocks and they go back to being earthquakes again, but, but, uh, but I guess for a while they're still aftershocks. Um, um, maybe the, maybe the, the problems though aren't these natural phenomena. Maybe the storms that we're dealing with are, are more ordinary, you know, kind of human scaled problems. Maybe, maybe it's something to do with your job. Maybe it's, it's the fact that you work for, or you, you know people who work for BP, or they did, but now their job got sold to a new company, and they're trying to figure out what does my job look like now that it has a new owner? You know, what happens to my benefits now that they have a new owner? What's the future going to hold for me? Am I going to be still working the same job? Am I going to be moving to Houston? What is what is the world going to look like for me because my job has changed? Or maybe maybe the situation is that you're involved somehow. You you benefit from um, the the Alaska state budget. Maybe you work for the state. Maybe you you uh, have some role that the, the state is paying for something. Um, 
and you're wondering what's going to happen. What's going to happen is these these uh, budget problems keep going on. What's that going to look like? What is what is the other side of this disturbance going to look like? Maybe you're a university student and you're wondering what's it actually going to say on my on my diploma uh, when I graduate? Is there going to be a University of Alaska? And if so, where will it be located? What's the future hold for me because I'm in the middle of a disturbance and I don't know what's the far side? Maybe it's relational. Maybe, maybe it's a, you know, if you experienced a breakup, maybe, maybe you've experienced a divorce and you're wondering what's going to be on the far side of this. Maybe it's health. Maybe you went to the doctor's office and you thought you were getting a checkup, but the doctor said, you know what, I'm going to run a whole bunch, a whole bunch of more tests because we need to fit, figure out what's going on here. And suddenly you're in a storm because you're in a disturbance and you don't know what's on the other side of that. So that's what I want to look at today. How does Jesus deal with this storm? The one thing we know is that Jesus said there would be storms. Just a few verses back at the end of chapter 7, as Jesus was wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, he said this. He said, anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods came, come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Jesus said there's going to be storms. And, and the question is not, Will there be storms in your life? The question is, will your house stand in those storms? And Jesus said that if we listen to his words and obey what he has told us, that our house will stand. But if they don't, if we don't, then the house will crash. So the, the real question for us is, will our house, um, withstand the storms? So our first point, Jesus did prepare us to face storms. Jesus did not say that there would never be storms in our life. He said the very opposite. He said there would be storms in our life. And then he prepared us to face them. He said, look at my words and put those things into practice. So what I want to do today is look at some of his words and look at the practice that Jesus does in this event where he's in a storm on the lake. So so we pick it up where we left off. Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. And suddenly a fierce storm um, struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. So, so a fierce storm. Um, how, how fierce? You know, I'm, I'm kind of a cynical perspective. It's like, oh, you know, this is a little landlocked body. How big, how big of a storm could it be? So this is the Holy Land. This is the, the, uh, Israel-Palestine area. And you can see in the south, there's Judea. That's next to the, um, the Dead Sea. And then north of there is in a region called Samaria, and then north of there is a region called Galilee. Over on the east side of the lake, the place Jesus is headed, the other side of the lake, is the Decapolis. And we heard last week about how that's a Greek-speaking culture, and so that, that's where we're going to get to next week. But um, in the meantime, this is the Sea of Galilee, sometimes called the Lake of Gennesaret, and it's really not that big of a lake. It's um, 13 miles long and 7 miles across, which is plenty big for me because I don't like lakes or water, or, or anything, you know, bigger than a bathtub, but, but it's not that big of a lake. But the problem is, as you saw, it's in the middle of this rift valley that, that, uh, Asia and Africa are smashing together and it's causing this, this big rift in the, in the middle of the earth. And so that's why there is this river. That's why there's these two bodies of water because, um, because of that tectonic stuff that's going on there. And so the, the Sea of Galilee is actually located below sea level and the Dead Sea is located even further below sea level. And there's this valley. And as a result of that, the lake is very deep. It's 150 feet deep. 
And so uh, storms can get very big there because once the wind gets going, it's got a lot of water that it can stir around. Uh, uh, I was reading this week that apparently you have storms um, as high, uh, you have waves in storms 20 feet high. So picture yourself in a boat and you look up and there are waves three times your height, three and a half times your height up there somewhere. So that sounds like a pretty fierce storm to me. Um, this is the way Rembrandt envisioned it. We don't know exactly what it looked like, but this is what this is the way Rembrandt uh, uh, saw it. So let me zoom in a little bit on that. So uh, you see, that's the that's the kind of boat that we think um, they had. Rembrandt was just guessing based on his experience in in uh, Holland or whatever. But uh, they've discovered uh, uh, buried in the mud or, uh, about uh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. They discovered buried in the mud a first century boat that they think is probably typical of the fishing boats of the first century, and it was uh, 27 feet, 26 feet long, um, 7 feet wide, and about um, 4 feet deep. So, you know, comparable to this boat right here. So um, so that's the way um, uh, Rembrandt pictured it, but um, uh, the, the, the lesson says that Jesus was sleeping, and you can see in, um, in Rembrandt's picture, Jesus has already been awakened, and so... so um, uh, while I love the drama and the, the, the scary-looking waves, I actually like this picture better. This is by um, Delacroix, and um, it's not quite as dramatic. You know, the storm doesn't look quite as serious to me. But um, as we zoom in, what I love about this is Jesus is asleep. And in fact, Jesus is really asleep. Jesus is out. <laughs> he is he is zonked. Um, you know, as I look at that picture, I can almost imagine a little bit of drool coming down. <laughs> coming down one side and I love that because Jesus is tired the reason that that um, that Jesus is tired is because like I told the children he's one of us in fact um, back at the very beginning of his biography uh, Matthew summed up the story the Christmas story with with uh, Joseph having the dream is it okay to marry Mary yes it is go right ahead and marry her and uh, Joseph sums it up by saying uh, not Joseph Matthew sums it up by saying all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Jesus is God with us. And why is he asleep? Because the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. We heard that last week. Jesus was telling these disciples that, you know, there's not going to be a mint on your pillow. Jesus says, I can't even get a place to sleep. Even in a boat in the middle of the water, surrounded by my disciples, I can't get any rest because Jesus is one of us. Jesus completely understands what it's like to be one of us because he is one of us. And so our first uh, uh, point, um, our second point, um, Jesus is with us in the storms. Jesus is with you in the storms. And just to, to add a little bit to that, Jesus is God with you in the storms. So there he is. Jesus is sleeping and then the disciples come and they wake him up. They shout, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Lord, get up and do your job. You're the one who's got all this God stuff sorted out. We're just disciples. Do your job. Save us. Have you ever prayed that prayer? You know, who besides me has prayed that prayer? God, do your job because things aren't looking very good right now. That's what the disciples pray. So what does Jesus say to them? Jesus wakes up and he says, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Now remember, 20-foot waves. You're in a 26-foot boat. You're a seasoned fisherman. And here's this carpenter asking you why you're afraid. 
It's like, well, look, I know Nazareth is inland, <laughs> Rabbi. Okay, and I know you don't spend a lot of time out in the water. But I've done this my whole life, and I am petrified. You ask why I'm afraid? Because I've seen boats go down in storms like this. That's why I'm afraid. And besides, what does faith have to do with it? I came to you. Isn't that faith? You know, you're the rabbi. You're connected to God. You, you've you got that God stuff sorted out. Isn't that faith? I came to you. I panicked and I came to you. Isn't that faith? Well, it is a kind of faith. I guess Jesus says you have little faith. That, that's the name he will, he will use for his disciples from time to time. He uses it, uses it five times, uh, in Matthew's gospel. He says that they have little faith. But the kind of faith Jesus is looking for is the kind of faith we talked about this summer. Faith is trusting God and the promises of God that are fulfilled in Jesus. This is the kind of faith Jesus is looking for. Faith is trusting God and his promises that are fulfilled in Jesus. They don't have that kind of faith. They think God doesn't care. They think that somehow this storm has snuck up on God and God needs to be alerted to its existence. They don't trust God. But then Jesus does something that is surprising. Jesus gets up and rebukes the wind and the waves and suddenly there is a great calm. So why does Jesus do that? Why does Jesus calm the sea? What is the lesson for us? Is the idea that if we just turn to Jesus, then whenever we have a storm, it'll go away? That suddenly there won't be a storm anymore? Is that what Jesus is teaching us? Remember, he's told us there's going to be these storms, and the wind will blow, and the waters will rise up, and the question is, will our will our foundation stand? Is that what he's saying? Is that, is that if you just call out to me in a panic, that, that I will wake up and solve the problem? Is that what Jesus is saying? Or maybe he's saying, if you have enough faith, that I won't do it if you don't have enough faith. But if you have enough faith, then I'll do it. And so when you have problems in your life, really it's because you lack faith. You're a little faith. Is that what Jesus is saying? Well, there was um, a man named um, Paul. Uh, I should finish this out. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man? Even the winds and wave um, obey him. But, um, but if the question is, if we have enough faith, can we avoid the storms? Paul wrote a quarter of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, and he had faith. He had, he had big faith. He was, he's writing a letter to the second, uh, the second letter to the Corinthian church, and he says, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. I've been in that painting. Three times. And it went down. Jesus, Paul says, Paul says, it's not because I lacked faith. He says, I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I've faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And then, if three shipwrecks weren't enough, Luke tells us that on his, on his journey to Rome, when, when he's been arrested and is going to trial before the emperor, Paul has one more kind of bonus extra, uh, shipwreck. He talks about this storm that goes on for two weeks. He says, the next day, as the gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. Just picture that for a moment, right? You know, it makes my storms look a lot easier. The thought of not eating for two weeks because I can't hold anything down, and now they've thrown it overboard anyway. Makes my storms look pretty straightforward. It says that they took some of the ship's gear and threw it over, overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and stars until all hope was gone. That's what Paul experienced, and it wasn't because he lacked faith. And if you're saying, yeah, but I don't ever go to, you know, I'm not stupid enough to get shipwrecked because all I have to deal with is earthquakes. 
I live in Alaska. Well, Paul had to deal with those too. He says around midnight, uh, Paul and Silas were praying. They were locked in jail. And the other prisoners were listening to them sing hymns. And suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundation. So if you, if, if, if the idea here is that somehow, if you have enough faith that God will calm all the storms in your life, I don't think that you can argue that. First of all, Jesus said there would be these storms. And second of all, we see Paul, who has more faith than um, any of us. He even has more faith than you do. Paul faced all kinds of problems in his life. So why did Jesus calm the storm? I think Jesus did it to give these disciples faith. See, they didn't know who he was. They didn't know what Jesus could do. They didn't know that in a few months or a few years, Jesus would rise from the dead. They had no real reason to trust him. And so he wanted to demonstrate that he was, in fact, God with them. He wanted to give them faith. Jesus gives us faith so we can face storms. The reason that Jesus gives us faith is so we can face the storms in our life. As I was preparing for this message, I I came across this, and I wrote it down, and then I turned the page or closed the book or whatever it was, and I forgot to write down where I found it. But I love this quote because I think this is really the reason why Jesus Calm the storm. Fear chases out faith unless faith chases out fear. That this is a choice we have. What are we going to do with the faith we have? We can either, we can either fail to use it. We can say, we can say, you know what? God's not in charge. God cannot handle this. In which case the fear will over, overcome it. Or we can say, you know what? God saw this coming. God knows what to do about this. God can, as we heard in the song, God will take what's wrong and make it right. So right. So right that God can use this. And so faith will chase out fear. And when we do that, when faith chases out fear, God will give us peace. We see this all through the New Testament. We see that this was what enabled people like Paul to be shipwrecked three and four times. Jesus said that this was, this was, um, this was the, the thing he wanted to leave his disciples with before he ascended to the Father, before he was um, uh, crucified. He told his disciples this. He said, I've told you all this so you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Again, Jesus is not sugarcoating anything. Jesus is not saying that if you believe in me, there won't be any problems in your life, that it's going to be pain-free and problem-free the rest of your life. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, here on earth, you will have problems trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Paul wrote a letter to the church in Philippi. He said this. He said, um, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. And he says, when you do that, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. He says, you can have that kind of peace. The peace that lets you sleep in a boat with 20-foot waves crashing around you. So, what do we do with this? I think the first thing we do is we remember that. We remember that Jesus is with us. Jesus told us there would be storms, but Jesus is with us. And I think it may be helpful when you're in the doctor's office, when your boss calls you in, to actually say, Jesus is here too. To, to, to close your eyes for a moment and picture Jesus, who's so bored by all this that he's nodding off. I mean, he, he likes you, he's interested in you, but these problems, they're just so boring for him because, because he trusts God. 
that Jesus can barely keep his eyes awake as you're sitting there in the doctor's office because he knows how it's going to turn out. He knows that if you put his words into practice, your house will not be destroyed. So picture Jesus, Jesus with us, and picture Jesus resting. But then I would recommend you take a lesson from Jesus. Doctors tell us that that cortisol is bad for us, that the stress hormone is bad for us. So maybe if Jesus can take a nap, maybe you can too. If Jesus needs rest, guess what? You're not holier than Jesus. You could probably use a nap too, particularly in the middle of a storm. So take a nap. One of the things, one of the things I picked up from somewhere along the way, and I love this image, that a, a bedtime prayer, and maybe a nap time prayer too, is to say, God, when, when, when we go to bed tonight, my problems are not solved. There's things I'm going to leave undone. There's, there's problems that I haven't been able to deal with today. But I'm going to sleep on them, and I'm going to trust that while I'm asleep, you're at work. And when I pick them up tomorrow morning, they will be lighter because you've been at work. So take a rest and remember, God is at work, that God never sleeps. So say, you know what? Tomorrow is going to be a new day. The psalmist says this, it's useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. God gives rest to his loved ones. If Jesus can take a nap, so can you. And then I just want to say this as the church, since since about 200, maybe earlier, but certainly since 200, the church has loved this story. And we've, we've used it as an illustration of what the church is. The church is collectively the disciples in the boat with Jesus. That's the way the church has pictured itself. And in fact, if you look at um, church architecture, you'll see that the middle part of the church, where we're all sitting right now, this is called the nave. So, so um, I don't know. I probably can't. I want to, I want to pinch it, but it probably won't work. Um, anyway, the middle part, the blue part there in the middle with the yellow parts, right? That's the nave, and it's from the same word as navy. It means the the boat, and the church is the boat. It is the disciples in the boat with Jesus. We are collectively the body of Christ, and I think part of our part of our mission as a church and as Christians is to embody. The, the fearlessness that Jesus has to, to say, uh, I'm not going to let this bother me because, because God will give me the faith I need so that I can have peace about it. And to say, I'm going to let people see that. I think one of the, one of the best ways we can, we can be, um, uh, we, we can propound the gospel, the best ways we can, we can proclaim the gospel is by being irritating people, not because we preach at people, but because people look at us and say, I don't know how they get through this. I don't know how they're getting through their life. I don't know how she got through the disease. I don't know how he got through the job thing because everybody saw that was a raw deal that he got. But he just went off him like water off a duck's back. How does he do that? What kind of person is that? The, the very question the disciples asked about Jesus, who does this? I think the church is called to be that kind of people. So let us, as a church and as individuals, let us embody the fearlessness of Christ because we have the peace that passes understanding, because Jesus has given us his faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks. Um, 
uh, not for the storms, but for the knowledge that when we are in the storm, Jesus is with us and that Jesus is not concerned. It didn't sneak up on him. It didn't surprise him. He knows how this is going to turn out. We can't see the far side of this disturbance, but he does. And he's not concerned because he trusts you. Lord, give us that same kind of faith so that we can have your peace. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen.